Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul writes to the church, and so it is that he writes to us. He says this, I encourage you to live the kind of life that proves that God has called you. Be humble and gentle in every way. Be patient with each other and lovingly accept each other. And not only that, through the bond of peace that binds us together. Literally, do your best to maintain the unity that the Spirit gives. And this is the very word of our God as it is found for us in Ephesians chapter 4. Well, today is indeed the fifth Sunday of Epiphany, thereby also being the fifth Sunday of the Great Commission season. Again, the last four weeks we've taken a look at the church down through the ages and how they have Let the light of the gospel of Christ shine in their life. And we've done this for the purpose of learning from them and and taking from them and learning how to let our light shine in our day and age. Our focus today takes us to the middle of the 1800s. April 26, 1847, 14 congregations assembled in Chicago, Illinois. They were joined together by a common confession and witness centered in the gospel of God's love for sinners in Jesus Christ. They formed a church called the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Don just talked about the church. The church is not the building. The church is people, people who have been called out, people who have been called out by God to be his own, not only to be his own, but called to make an eternal difference in this world. You know, the church that we call the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has that word in it called synod. And I know in the bulletin, it says there that a synod is two Greek words that mean traveling the same road. When two or more people are walking down the same road, That implies agreement and unity and and friendship and oneness. And so we are a synod. A synod means people who believe what the Bible says. People who believe God's word. Not only who believe in a oneness of teaching and doctrine, but who work together for a common goal or a common purpose. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by what they say. My dad always used to say, you can tell some things about a person by what they say, but you also can tell more about a person by what they do. And you put those two things together, what they say and what they do. It's the same thing with a church. You can tell a lot about the church by what they believe and what they confess, and what they teach. But you can also tell a great deal about a church by what they do. Again, as God's people, we believe the Bible to be the inspired, inerrant Word of God. We believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We believe that we are saved by God's grace alone. And this is a gift from God who gives us the gift of faith. But ask yourself this morning, why did our ancestors, why did they come to America in the first place? Well, many of them came seeking 
religious freedom. Because the church had already begun to go in the wrong direction. Secondly, many of them came seeking a better way of life here in the United States than what they had in Europe. You know, my great-great-great-grandmother came here with her parents to do just that. But while they were on the ship, my great-great-great-grandmother, who was only five years old at the time, her parents both died of disease on the ship and literally were buried at sea. There was no other family with them. And so she was taken in by another family who immigrated and settled in Toledo. She was their indentured servant until she was 20 years old. But her parents originally came, brought her along because of their faith. I can only imagine the sacrifices that she must have gone through to literally be able to pass the faith down to myself, to future generations. Again, Lutheranism, especially in Germany, had begun to fall away from Scripture. Rationalism, pietism, unionism was fostered by many pastors and by many unbelievers. Years after the Reformation, just 200 years after the Reformation, the church in Germany began to be controlled by the government. Doctrinal compromises were ordered for the sake of political expediency. People who belonged to the church, many of them were a rationalist who had no doctrine at all. And there was another group of people called the pietists, and they were indifferent toward doctrine toward the teaching of Jesus Christ. So what was happening in the church in Germany, controlled by the government, is that the word of God, the message of Christ crucified, risen again from the dead, slowly but surely was gutted away. And many of our ancestors were forced to worship with either people who did not believe in God's word, or did not believe that the Bible was the inspired, inerrant word of God, so they systematically began to gut it. Now, when you throw one doctrine out, then all the other doctrines of the Bible are up for suspect. And so to escape this persecution, many of our ancestors, 700 Saxon and other German immigrants, fled to Australia. A thousand immigrated to the United States of America. They felt that God was calling them to leave their homeland so that they could settle in a place where they could truly be the church. Think about the sacrifices that they made. Think about the sacrifices of my great-great-great-grandmother and her family. Think about farmers who sold their farms, shopkeepers who sold their, their shops, Doctors and lawyers who left their practice behind. Government officials who resigned their positions. And they risk everything to come to America. You know, the Synod came into an existence at a time when the Western movement in the United States, the immigration, had reached the Midwest. 
Think of the challenges that they must have faced. First of all, just getting here would be one thing. But when they came here, they settled on vast tracts of land, wilderness, where they experienced isolation from others. My dad used to tell me he was a prolific reader. He said, you know, back in the early days when this country was first settled, a squirrel could go all the way from the Atlantic Ocean to the Mississippi River without ever touching the ground. There were that many trees. Our ancestors settled in these vast areas, covered with wood. The work was hard and tiring. It left little energy for anything else. And the very thing that they came looking for, they could not find. There were very few churches, if any. It was into such an area as this, literally the wilderness, that a pastor by the name of Frederick Schmidt came as the first Lutheran missionary in the state of Michigan. He settled in an area not far from where we sit this morning. Ten miles from here, he established the first Lutheran church in Michigan. St. Thomas Lutheran Church in Freedom Township on Ellsworth Road. Historic Trinity in Detroit is not the oldest Lutheran church in the state of Michigan. St. Thomas is. Pastor Schmidt came here from Germany with other immigrants. He was newly ordained. Not only did he establish the church, St. Thomas, but he would travel... I can't even begin to imagine doing this. By horseback, throughout this wilderness of southeast Michigan, he would journey as far as Monroe and Detroit and Plymouth and Ann Arbor, and he is credited with starting some 20 congregations in this area. The last place that he served as a pastor was in Ann Arbor at a church called Bethlehem. Anybody know where it's at? Bethlehem, Vance knows where it's at. It's no longer a Lutheran church. That's the last place, the last church that he served at, and he is buried at Forest Hills Cemetery in Ann Arbor, not far from the U of M Hospital. Make a great field trip for some of you who have children. Well, the original reason for the organization of the Synod is really stated in part in today's epistle lesson from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 could really be a handbook on Christian unity. Or it could be a book on how to live the faith that you confess. You know, Paul understood, as well as our ancestors, the great danger that we face when we distort and destroy and compromise the word of God. Paul knew that this threat was serious. And Paul knew what was at stake. He knew that people's eternal salvation was at stake. Think about it. Our ancestors were forced to worship with those who didn't believe the word of God. They didn't take it seriously. Again, they put more trust in their reason than in what God's word says. And when a church damages or destroys the delivery system for the forgiveness of sins by misusing the word and the sacraments, what do you have? 
pretty soon you have nothing. Even Jesus, many people began to look at Jesus as simply a mere man and nothing else. You know, today in 2017, we now have, in the first time in the history of this country, a whole generation of people who have grown up in a secularized culture. You know, most of us here this morning have been privileged to have Christian parents and Christian grandparents who have set the example for us. Now we have a whole generation of people who've had neither Christian parents or Christian grandparents. And the result is is that we see in our world today as we watch television, we see destruction and devastation everywhere we look. A man by the name of Steve Turner in his poem, The Creed, reflects all too accurately what is popularly believed in our secular world today. And he writes in part, We believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher, although we think that his good morals were bad. We believe that after death comes nothing, because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. We believe that man is good, and it's only, we believe that man is good, and it's only his behavior that lets him down. No kidding. And this is society's fault. Society is the fault of conditions, and conditions are the fault of society. Sounds like a double talker to me. We believe that everyone must find his or her own way. We believe that everyone must find the truth that is right for them. Readily, we will adjust accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. And finally, we believe that there is no absolute truth except for the fact that there is no absolute truth. You know, how incredibly sad. In sin, we seek to become our own God. In sin, we separate ourselves from God and from others. In sin, there is no unity. But thank God Christ came into this world to unite us by taking our sins on himself so that we might be united with our Heavenly Father and with one another. You have your Bibles with you again. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul uses, in this particular text, the word one seven times to drive home his point. That true oneness and complete unity with God and with the church is only possible because of the redemptive and merciful action of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Listen to these seven ones. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. Jesus calls us to be united together as one body under his teaching. He is the head. And why so? Again, Paul goes on, so he says, so that we are not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the deceitful schemings of sinful man. You know, spiritually immature people are in danger of being swept away. Spiritually immature people who are not in the word of God 
You're like consumers being worked over by a slick salesperson. You know, when I think about a slick salesperson, I think about that guy on that old television program on Green Acres. You know Green Acres? Remember the slick salesperson? A guy by the name of Haney. Pat Buttram. He's always trying to sell his junk uh, to somebody else. Spiritually speaking, we find ourselves under attack by all kinds of false teachings, even within the church, from preachers who preach a prosperity gospel, and rarely do they point people to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we are truly, when we are not truly united on a common foundation or a common teaching, followers of false doctrine uh, literally come in and they literally, again, speak all kinds of lies to children to the point that they are like uh, little infants on a boat tossed to and fro on the waves of the high seas. Now let me say this, you know, there have been many in Christendom, when you mention the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, what do some people do? They roll their eyes at us. They often think, oh, you guys are the ones who believe the inspired and errant word of God. You are the ones who are intolerable. You are the ones who are narrow-minded. You know, true unity is not created by superficial gatherings of Christians. It's not simply agreeing to disagree. Back in 1947, after World War II, all of the churches got together because when people fight together, you say, don't we all believe the same thing? Don't we all believe, as 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, that Jesus Christ is Lord. All of the major denominations got together in 1947. And you know what? They said, we can't agree to that statement. We can't agree to what Scripture says. Jesus Christ is Lord. So they got together the next year and they said, well, if we can't agree that Jesus Christ is Lord, what can we agree to? And the only thing they could agree to is that the church is simply a social organization. A church is simply a social organization that should help the needy. Of course, the church has a responsibility for social ministry. But that's not the number one and the main focus. It is to point people to Christ. Finally, the last reason for the organization of the Synod has everything to do with this Great Commission season. Jesus gave the church its marching orders. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. A hallmark of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has always been teaching the Christian faith, telling the next generation. And because of that, Christian education for all ages is the high priority. Sunday schools, Christian day schools, Christian high schools, preparatory schools, colleges and universities and seminaries that our church supports and has founded. 
There are many churches in the United States today that would die to have our educational system. One last thing we learn about those who established the synod. Take a look at verses 11 and 12. They took these words seriously. That God gave his people, what? Spiritual gifts for the extension of his kingdom. To some, he gave them to be prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. But to all, he gave spiritual gifts. The priesthood of believers. To some, he gave the gift of mercy, leadership, administration, the gift of giving and of helps, and even of singing to proclaim the glory of God. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod championed the laity of picking up the ball of the gospel and running with it. Clergy and laity working together to make an eternal difference in this world. You have two incredible examples of that in the Lutheran Layman's League and the Lutheran Women's Missionary League. Laity, along with clergy, carrying the freight, spreading the word of God as the priesthood of all believers. Christ gave his church that task of making disciples. The task, it's not going to be easy. But God has promised to give us all of the material and spiritual resources that we need to get his word out. So may God's spirit strengthen us and encourage us through the word and through the sacraments. May we follow the example of those who went before us. And remember that in the final analysis, it's always, always, always about Jesus. In his name we ask it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for your great love and mercy for us. We thank you for those who have gone on before us, who held high the cross and the message of Christ crucified for sinners. We pray, Lord, that we would be zealous as we carry forth and shine the light of the gospel in this place, in our own church, in our own family, and in this community and beyond. Help us by your Holy Spirit's power to come together as a people who worship and study and work and witness together so that all people might come to know Jesus as their Savior from sin. Lord, we pray and we ask this in your name and all of God's people said, Amen.